Hey, John. Uh, that was a pretty intense conversation, I have to say. Wow. Usually where we um, dive more into the business, the go-to market, like uh, expansion. This time around, it was a really personal story how he came to the exit and what happened during the exit conversations for himself as a person. Indeed. Yeah, and also about the struggle, what I also experienced personally as a founder, right? That's you... If you run a fast-growing company, then at a certain point, you know your limits, right? Because you run into the phase that you don't add any value anymore. You feel it and you get stressed. And that's a, that's very personal on what level that is. And I think he, he explains it really well in, 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 I think, the phases that he goes through and the stress that it gives him, but also the tension with his own organization, the growing, let's say, 100-people organization, but also with investors and other people he works with, right? So I think it's a very transparent story, really great for founders who are in this, let's say, new era of growing, but also keeping your company, right? Keeping your company also alive to learn from it. Yeah. And one of the things, and I think we discussed this previously, like grit and resilience for founders is so important. And the fact that he started in the Mariners, mm -hmm. uh, where it was not an easy life, like people are really tough on you. To then um, use that when you first lose your one co-founder, then later in the process, another co-founder leaves, and you keep going, running this 100 people plus organization, uh, it shows so much grit, um, yeah. up to the point, I think, what he said, like you have to keep being true to yourself, and it cannot be at cost from basically your life. So, um, yeah, because, because also, yeah. Because also in the book that he wrote, last uh, perhaps for before indeed we go to the show, is he wrote a book about it, When the Rope Snaps, which personally, was, which fully explains, let's say, the phases he goes through from indeed uh, personal, uh, his full personal story, including uh, drug uh, use, but also the fact that he tried really taking his own life. So it's a really intense story. So uh, please, listeners, enjoy, hopefully, watch the show. Starting a company is easy. Growing a company is harder. But selling your company? That's a whole different story. In The Big Exit Show, we lift the curtain of secrecy around selling businesses by learning from ambitious and successful founders who have been on this roller coaster. Our hosts, venture capital investors Johan van Mill, the founding and manager partner of Peep, and Anke Hauskis, the founding and managing partner of NP Hart, will help you on this exciting journey. Today we have in the hot seat Gerrit Brouwer. Gerrit Brouwer is an accomplished tech leader with a professional background in banking, in tech sales. And in the last 12 years, he spent his time building and leading tech companies. He wrote a post personal book, When the Rope Snaps, about his journey. And not too long ago, he sold his company. So that's why we're here today to um, dive into the story behind his big exit. So welcome to the show, Gerrit. Thank you so much. Anke and Johan for having me this morning in, in the show. Looking forward to, to our conversation. Yeah, when we started digging into your life, we saw that your life didn't start in, in tech at all. You started as in the Corps Marinier, a, a completely different uh, industry. And then via banking, you got into tech. Can you take us through uh, your journey and uh, how this started? Absolutely. Well, I'm fr from my origin, I'm Frisian. I was born and raised in, in Bolsward, and as a small boy, I always dreamt of being part of the Royal Marines. And, uh, so mainly my middle school, high school period has been preparing, playing soccer with my, with my homies, so to say. And on the other hand, making sure I was physically well prepared 
for for the tests for the Royal Marines. So when I when I was still 17 years old, I was still committed and very focused to make that happen. So I uh, successfully completed uh, the officer's selection tests. I was able to join the training program, which is basically you start at the military academy in Den Helder, where I also met some people that Johan knows of. Basically, that was, was a fantastic period where you are being inducted, introduced to the military system. All the time I kept smiling. I was really that tired. That moment was for me a transformation like, hell yes, I'm going to complete this training. But it was also for me a mirror like, hey, if this doesn't fit in the culture, I'm not uh, the right guy to, to, to take this further into action. So I completed the training and you start off with a group of 30, 35 people, some of them with definite contracts and I had an indefinite contract. But at, the, uh, at some point uh, after completing the training and the commando training course and stuff like that, I had something like, you know, I got to go. I'm out. Yeah. And all the people had something like, what the hell are you doing? Because you just finished training and, and you 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 grown as, as a leader. Everybody was happy. Of course, there is still sufficient things to learn. However, I, I didn't feel I was at the right place. So that was quite transformational, that sanction, that little sanction from our sergeant major. But it made me realize like, hey, I'm more a free spirit. I'm going to take on studies in, in business administration in, in Rotterdam and took my journey up from there and and yeah ma mainly being very grateful about all the lessons that that i am yeah, still able to apply in my daily life where i am today and what was the reason Gerrit, that you so then you did your studies then you did some investment banking what was the reason for you at that time to start your own company yeah good good question basically I had in my after my shell period working with Rabobank. I was able to work with a lot of online entrepreneurs. Basically, the the the, the bank, Rabel Bank, where I was working with, was able to give me a lot of freedom in, in my work. So I was able to build up my own client portfolio. And so I got the opportunity to to pioneer, and that gave me the opportunity to meet a lot of different entrepreneurs in the online and media space to work with them, plead their finance requests. In, in a rather traditional setting. And at some point, making the jump also to mergers and acquisitions within Rabobank, previously called Rabo Securities, I was able to work a lot on, on M&A deals where, you, where I was able to build up the same relationship with those entrepreneurs. Obviously, I had them in my portfolio before, so they gave me a call like, oh shit, we want to do acquisition or we want to prepare for an IPO. That made me kind of like the spider in the web within the bank that I had something like, wow, imagine what it would be like if I would be on the other side of the table. So to me, it was essential to, to gain the experience, to do deals, a lot of deals, to learn from my experienced colleagues big time. But on the other side, I really felt the need to, to, to change from, from the seat and do a traditional Dutch style stoelen dance and become an entrepreneur. That didn't happen overnight. It restructured. I'm up for, you know, building something new where I was walking around already with the idea of creating something based on the military handbook. Because the military system, if you talk about the venture we, we started off with Apple, is heavily structured in terms of training. It's, it's impactful. It's effective and people still remember it even 50, 60 years after training, what, what has been taught. So 
the, the, the retention is big. So I came up with the idea like, hey, I have this military handbook. What if we, we, we make a, an application, a mobile application out of that? And in the meantime, I had the experience working with, with game companies, also exploring the possibilities in online gaming. So I had something like, wow, what if we can create PowerPoint deck interactive with some questions on the iPad. And that's basically where <clears throat> where I said like, hey, this this is this is really where I want to go. And thanks to to the team where I was working with, they already spoke with with a number of yeah, I would say learning experienced professionals and my my uh, future co-founders. They were already like, hey, we want to build something in mobile learning. So we basically got together, got energized, got hyped on on starting Epical. Whilst I was standing still with one leg in the yeah, investment hash restructuring business. So we, we basically started off and that basically also delivered quite quickly a, a challenge that you are working with are, are dealing with two interests you are working with of course the the interest from from the restructuring investment company at the one hand whereas able to have minority share of 10% and at, at the other side you're dealing with yeah your, your passion and that's something that you really feel in your heart like hey the military handbook those guys around me were up to something special onboarding did not exist the way we intended it to 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 grow the business so yeah let's let's start and let's let's make it happen and yeah that that brought us to to i would say amazing destinations already in the first year working with great blue chip customers however you're still tied to this dependency in terms of minority share and and also on the other side the interest yeah, can, can, can I double-click, Carrot, on that? Because you, indeed, you, you started with that company, right? Boutine Group, Dutch company, and you started a new company with, with some people who worked there and indeed ended up with a minority share, right? What, Correct. What, what Correct. was the reason for you? Because you had some investment experience. It's also, let's say, some, some, what was the reason for you at that time to, to, let's say, agree also with that minority share, right? Where you brought all the enthusiasm, power, and belief yeah. in to kick it off, right? What was for you at that time the reason for that? Yeah, I think I think a rather personal reason. I, I tend to to keep myself small, humble, and and also like from the perspective that I also was grateful for for the opportunity that I had. Something like, okay, you, we're going to do this together. I I always have been a team player to keep people on board, to get people on board, and that that basically that that personal limitation. I had something like, okay, I'm still on board with the investment company. We obviously had some some participations, nice portfolio that was clearly growing. But at some point, I really learned that it's not going to happen. You need to have a clear cut of interest right from the get go, right from the start. You need to have that. And Otherwise, when, so if, you, if we if we double click on that, when did you learn like this is not going to work long term because owning ten percent uh, of the company that you're basically leading and putting in your your yeah. whole life, what happened exactly? Can you take us through that moment? Yeah, I can take you through that moment. Basically, I think already during the first quarter, uh, we we were already working with some some great brands like Albert Heijn, Old Europe, Abin Embro. And you realize the amount of work, or obviously you realize that it takes quite a bit of work to get them up and running, but you also realize that you're not thinking of anything else because you want to make the company successful. And at some point, we also had our, our monthly board meetings, which were quite intense. In my point of view, highly based on micromanagement 
and and at some point I got frustrated out of it. Like, oh my god, we're 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 signed a deal. We 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 close quite quickly a deal with high-profile American customer, which brought in a lot of money. That that, that we simply had something like, hey, sh- sh- shouldn't we be rowing in the same direction? Altogether, it felt like we were in the boats, you know, people rowing in different directions. And it brought up a lot of frustration at, at some point, you know, that, that gets under your skin. And I realized that that's a good thing about living in Friesland and having business in, in Amsterdam, in the Amsterdam region, is you have some thinking time. And at some point, I always had my, with, my, with my co-founder, especially after our third co-founder left he left quite quickly because the entrepreneurial setting was was quite stressful for him that we we talked a lot about these challenges and we immediately agreed with each other like hey this is not the way forward we should really discuss this and 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 yeah make sure we we get more control so quite quickly in the first six months we had something like wow this 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 has to change one way or the other yeah. And then you arranged a loan, right, from an external party, I think convertible loan, you bought back the shares from the existing shareholders and then you... Correct. I think you you owned roughly 100%, right, together with your co-founder of the company. Yeah, correct. At that time. How, correct. how did you, because this was a spin-out of an existing company, right, how, how did you, and, and perhaps briefly, you can explain briefly, but how do you convince your, let's say, existing shareholders, how, how did you convince your existing shareholders to sell your shares to you for probably a rather low amount, right, of a fast-growing company? Yes and no. I think go, going back to the to the amounts, we we were already able to you know to 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 give them a, a good return, a good premium. Okay. So so we we took care of that. No no discount, a gentleman's deal. So for for the one year of of putting their money on the table, so to say, they got got a solid return. However, we we mm-hmm. convinced them and that was quite quite a nasty procedure because the, the, the situation has been that you you start off rather befriended and then the because of those two interests, entrepreneurial and an investor perspective, the relationship got really frustrated. So my mm-hmm. my, my co founder and myself at that time yeah, re- really, were in this this pressure cooker of of, of stress. Like we, we need to make it happen. And at some point, I got back on Christmas, Christmas Eve. I got back to to my home in Snake, and there was uh, a letter in the mailbox saying like, "Hey, we're gonna organize a general shareholders meeting in January." And one of the topics of that shareholder meeting is your resignation. So that obviously we oh. had been in conversation with a ton of informals and more professional investors also internationally but that really brought in this feeling that i also learned from from my royal marines career like yeah we need to fix this and finally quite early in january we were able to to speak to informal investors who have made money with their selling their their businesses in the past and they had something like wow this is something we uh, we we want to be part of and then all these puzzle pieces fold together you're 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 hyped you're stressed of course but at the same point uh, you you think that after the transaction paying the premium being a majority shareholder i can honestly say that yeah, the amount of growth capital to finance the business, yeah, ha- was very minimal. So I think we we 
we had around 20 25k left so that immediately forced us on the reality like okay now you have to do it you made the transaction you own the company fully so you did the management buyout so to say but on the other hand you you really uh, need to 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 get moving and that brought the special dynamics on the other side i noticed on, on my end like wow yeah I, I still sleep very well at that moment in time but my co-founder was really yeah still stressed it did something to him also emotionally and as a human being and yeah at some point we and that's also, that's also something I, I learned from uh, from my Royal Marines period. Like, hey, come on, you know, I'm your buddy. Uh, uh, if you're in misery or if you're stressful, I help you. I'm gonna take you on my back and let's let's run. Let's 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 build this great great company. And and so after a while, I think mid 2013, uh, yeah, we were able to 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 work out also the financial situation to have customers let them pay up front and also transition to to a real SaaS company software as a service company from that moment and make decisions to to skip exotic projects because that was also the challenge of the first year that we were really revenue driven also from from the learning applications we we developed quite a lot of different applications and we both realized my co-founder and myself like well this is not going to be fun to be be a project leader let's build something scalable here and yeah that was that was special. That was also something that the two convertible loan. Sorry to interrupt, Gerrit, but indeed, can you? Because I also have experienced myself as a, as a founder of a company that it's easy to make your money with consultancy, right? Because it pays the bill and it's a higher amount than the, let's say, monthly revenue that you get in for your subscription of your SaaS business, right? Correct. And switching a consulting company from to a, to a SaaS company is really hard, right? Because you have a deferred payment. Yes. And you, yes. you, so it's, 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 it's really hard. What, what did you, and you, in this case, you also had to finance it yourself, right? Because you had 25K of the bank as a leftover from the transaction. Exactly. Buying out your existing shareholders. How did you, how did you do that? Can you take us a little bit through that phase? Yeah. Basically, uh, what, what every, every single time until, until the end has been part of our strategy to develop close relationship with the customers. And based upon the relationship with the customers, we were able to finance a lot of our initiatives upfront. And indeed, if you have a SaaS company, you can definitely say like, okay, you can pay our invoice on a monthly basis, uh, like drive the MRR. But at the same mm-hmm. time, we, we really went for because of the nature of our business and because onboarding is really something big to set up and something to install with with our customers we were able to to let them pay our customers pay up front which meant that we were able to to base on the number of deals we closed on a monthly basis to to get you know the 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 cash in up front and at the same time develop the relationship with our customers in such a way that we were able to execute a land and expense strategy. So once one division or one department from, let's say, one of our customers, Aeon Hewitt, at that time was already happy with us, we were able to, to scale it up the contract quite quickly to a different department, a different country, a different division. And that helped us to, to generate quite a lot of cash. And because of the relationship with our customers, we're also able to to ask my question like uh, I still remember that I was also chasing the invoices uh, because when when your team is really small and especially when you're in 2013 you don't have a big team around you taking on the various aspects of the business so I really was calling the financial departments from our customers and that's something 
<laughs> I still have to smile off that I, that I was not Gerrit. I wasn't Gerrit uh, Brouwer, but I was Hank, Hank Spilman. A very, you know... Yeah, use a nickname. <laughs> nickname, bookkeeper guy, you know, with a pen in his uh, pocket here. And, you know, I was calling those financial departments and also building up a relationship with them. Like, hey, can, can you get us on, on, on the roll for, 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 for this Thursday? And what can we do to make that happen? And, and at that point, you know, it was a bit of creative 2.0. These things, you know, fall together. The puzzle pieces f- uh, fell together in terms of making sure the cash flow was in order. Because of, of my, my, my working past, I, I, I put in a lot of savings in the company. And yeah, we really believed in it. Like, hey, this is, this is going to happen. And the same structure was applied with one of our collateral loan, of our convertible loan providers, a great informal investor, a special human being, especially after one of the other loan providers had something like after a year, like, yeah, this, this is not my business, HR. And yeah, I, I, I'm not too, I'm not so soft. I really prefer marketing tech, other technology. So we also had to make sure he got his loan paid back within a year. But with the other informal investor, we, we started to develop a very special relationship. And he was also able, you know, like, okay, what is the gap in terms of cash? Meanwhile, we were building the product. So he and I, and together also with our co-founder, we were able to make it happen thanks to, to, to the relationship we have developed with our customers. So the point I'm trying to make is, of course, customer intim- intimacy is very important for any SaaS company, for any company, which business uh, there is. However, go for customer intimacy 2.0. Also learn all the supportive departments around you. Not just go for, you know, the, the DMU, the decision-making unit. Of course, that's important. You need to get the deal. You need to get the money in, but also understand like how the processes work within your customers. Because if you, if you hear about uh, that, that's something I, I really like. Uh, you have camels and you have unicorns. The camel approach is more about, you know, being very strict on your cash, make things happen, limit your burn rate. So if, if you want to go for that direction and you want to keep controls even more going forward, less dependency than customer intimacy 2.0, being that bookkeeper guy, understanding what's going on. I'm not saying that every founder has to create a nickname. However, get creative. There is a lot of, lot of stuff going. If you know people, if you know what they're about, you can ask questions, ask questions. And maybe to that point about like knowing your customer, like you've been growing very fast, I guess now the product is live in over 140 countries. At some point you decided to go abroad over the pond and launch in the US where you've got different types of customers, different culture. I think you sent one of your colleagues to open up shop. How did you decide when it was ready to really expand the business? Yeah, actually already in the first, first year that, that we, we noticed in, in 2012, so 12 years back, that the product was, was highly re- relevant for, for, for companies with a high intake of new hires. Thanks to a friend of mine living in, in Silicon Valley, he has been working with, with uh, the first team within Facebook. I was simply testing the water with him over, over, over a Zoom call at that time, conference call by video, where, where I showed him the, 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 the demo, the very base demo we created for, for Albert Heijn. And he, he immediately had something like, wow, this is something really special. Because it was that simple, people understood it quickly. So we tested back in 2000. 
2012, and of course, my co-founder and I had something like, okay, let's go there. Let's go to San Francisco. We prepared the presentation. We prepared products and we eventually clo closed the biggest deal in, in our first year with them. However, in 2013, we noticed like having a customer in, in, in time zone difference of, of nine hours and leading a small team isn't that good. You know, is this it was still intensive and our product was scalable as a, as a, as a bit, so to say. It wasn't scalable at all. So there's still a lot of tweaking and manual work behind it that was required. So go, going forward to the, the, the expansion, international expansion also to the US, we really had to go through a number of phases to, to really claim that international position. And the moment we realized that was possible is that at some point our blue chip customers with presence in different countries asked us the question like, hey, we want to roll this out further in Europe. We want to test drive this in, in the US. Companies like ASML, for instance, they're also really big in terms of presence and in developed United States. That it allowed us to piggyback right on the, on the back of our customers to go international and yeah. not just like, bam, we have an office and, and big parties. In, in the states no let's piggyback right and, and collaborate with our customers and that's also taps taps into customer intimacy 2.0 that that they are really able to to help you grow also internationally and once you have 50 60 70 customers around 2015 so three years being three years in business you can easily create 100 125 customers out of that different divisions different sponsors from the same company so you grow your company more in a structured way it's it's more easy than just to 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 shoot with hegel and being the john wayne yep. like hey we're here let's open the saloon cowboy yeah. great learning. <laughs> and when do Indeed. Hey, and when, when did you, uh, because you bought back the shares at that time, then you expanded, you went to the US, got customer on board, that land and expand strategy worked really well. At what time did you, let's say, decide, and not at what time, but what was the reason to, to, to raise extra funding, right? Because you raised also an extra round, I think, after this, which you mentioned. Yeah. So, so basically the period until 2016 16 has been really about survival, growing, customer intimacy 2.0. Here and there, some 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 personal investment in the company, also as a founder, and on the other hand, work closely together with with our informal investor who was able to to get his savings in the business. But at some point, mm -hmm. we realized that especially we're able to to expand our product portfolio towards pre-boarding, more functional onboarding. We really saw this employee journey, which starts obviously at the first day in the office, that basically triggered the onboarding. That we said like, hey, the business case is, is stronger if we expand our product portfolio towards pre-boarding. So basically when people are not on your payroll, then when they already start to learn about the company, get trained before day one, you can reach farther, quicker the level of productivity. And that business case catapultized our growth quite quickly. That we had something like, oh shoot, this, this is this is going to be big, and let's yeah, let's also invest in that. And then you realize that this method, in terms of customer intimacy 2.0, the survival mode, yeah, we we really have something special here. We were at 15, 20 people 
like yeah we really want to grab this 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 market leadership in 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 europe so to say then something needs to change you need to invest in professionalism you need to grow the team and you need to prepare for that and that's why we we spoke to to quite a number of investors 2015 at some point we were nearly done with the deal with one of the biggest recruitment agencies in in the netherlands and all of a sudden there was an announcement of of their takeover by a Japanese powerhouse, a big recruitment company also where Indeed is part of. That's something like this is immediately going to stall our yeah, funding process. And yeah, so I called the, the, the strategy director from from the recruitment company like wow this this yeah what what is this meaning for us and he was like yeah sorry about this but <clears throat> we're gonna take care of you yeah basically in in early 2016 they were also able to to keep the promise to make an introduction to the investment company that was set up founded by the the original founder of the recruitment company and sit together and do our thought talks and make sure we 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 got in sync with them as well and yeah quite quickly that that funding round got got executed where we were able to to execute also the the, the main pillars of our growth plan and make sure we're able to spread our wings into Europe so that was because you started the company in 2011 so this was we're now talking about 2016 so it's basically like five, five years. years of like hard grind and then you got bigger money in to like make that acceleration. And I do want to get to the exit. <laughs> yeah. What were the key highlights until that moment? You mean of of my exit, right? Yeah. Yeah, your exit. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, obviously, uh, I was having a conversation with with our one of my uh, my Apple colleagues at that time yesterday about it. But basically, the 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 pinball, I would say the the, the Dutch word flippercast pinball game. That's the way how I experienced it from from my point of view. Started already in 2017. That you are basically laying the foundation for for my own exit at that time. Well, let me tell you this: in 2017, it was a year that, in my view, too many situations took place, too many developments took place. And chain of events, starting with the exit of my co-founder, really triggered, I would say, a whole new dynamic, which I still see as a rather hostile environment. Once we, we also made a number of acquisitions, integrations, of other companies in Apple, I, I was really struggling with getting the culture in the right way. It was basically one of my colleagues mentioned it, a, a Game of Thrones situation that I was a lot of times politically involved, a lot of discussions that took a lot of energy and that you feel like... From my understanding, <clears throat> how big was the company during that time? Around in 100, terms of people? 100 yeah. plus minus, yeah, in terms of headcounts. So, so also as a founder, you, you've grown quite quickly in terms of headcounts. You're leading a big team. At the same time, you also notice that that changes your daily reality. But Gerrit, sorry. sorry to interrupt, Gerrit, but for also for our listeners, is at that time, because you bought back the company with an informal, yet that new round with the recruitment Correct. company, their investment company, right? Investing in your company. That time, if I recall right, you had, they had a minority share, but that grew into a majority share, right? Because you did Correct. some acquisitions, Correct. probably needed yeah. extra funding. So at that time, Correct. when the tensions arose and when your co-founder was away and you felt the politics in the organization the 100 people roughly organization at that time you were a minority shareholder again right and running the company yeah, with yeah. a lot of stress right that was a little bit the situation right correct uh, a, a lot of things and that's also a point uh, i want to address here is that 
yeah, I, I still rely to, you know, on words, so to say. Um, you have to mm -hmm. arrange your paperwork at, at some point together. So when my co-founder left, yeah, the, the, the whole voting process was also changed immediately where I had the agreement with the investor like that I was able to buy back the shares from my co-founder who left and distribute those shares also to, to members of our key, key team. So the chief product, chief sales, to make sure we got more balanced setup in terms of ownership, because the, mm -hmm. the, the role of sparing partner as co-founder was already taken on by, by the commercial leader and by the product leader. So we all already had this three musketeer set up together, like, hey, we need to know, we, we, we need what, what's going to happen. We know what, what, what needs to happen to make this company better and, and become a global leader. But at some point, you, you need to have the toolkit. You need to have the experience of what's going to happen if you are setting up a business and expanding in in america and that's where i felt the end of two, 2017 like hey this my exit is coming and then to to also wrap 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 this up in the right way i really felt at that time you know I'm, I'm i'm losing already a bit of control so what you see in the cap table i had a minority share that's also something that i i felt for the first time during my tenure as a co-founder, that I was also losing control on a daily basis. A lot of politics being involved, a lot of stress, and it basically burned, yeah, it did burn me out from the inside, ate me up completely that I was worth faced where the company was at and that I needed to be a different person. Yeah, I wasn't totally happy anymore at that phase. And then I realized that if you have it, if you talk about the fit for face as a founder, that to be honest, I already felt that, of course, uh, what I just explained in 2017, that during my birthday in 2018, at the end of March, we just were present with our team at South by Southwest. I had something like, I I'm, I'm done. I can't, can't take it on anymore. This is, this is so heavy. Conversations got hostile by, by the day. So I made it, made a call to, to, to also have our investor part of, of our, uh, of our board. And, and also have a conversation like, hey, I, I need help. You know, I already spoke with a number of coaches and, and people, specialists, and they, they told me like, you're too far gone. You need to have that conversation and you need to save yourself. To be frank, I also had that something I also wrote in my book. I, I, I remember a situation with Afsluitdijk that at some point I was driving there. It was completely black. I, I was, I was, I, I felt like I was going to die or something like that. And I'm, 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 I'm not someone who is saying that quite quickly or easily to people but then i realized this is there's this big stop sign for me that like this is not this is not worth it you know i have at that time four, four children i have a wife i need to i want to make something out of it this is uh, for me a bridge too far so i really reached my my limit as 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 an entrepreneur but also a limit as a human being so i had the conversation and that immediately felt really good in terms of okay let's talk about your new role quite quickly the dynamics changed and I, I realized like hey they they have they have a different narrative they have a different view on, on the future the view of my role and yeah then basically this this pinball game started to 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 come by once again that you you feel like you don't have the controls anymore and in the mid-summer of 2018 and i can talk about it very objectively you have this principal relationship where yeah i was pr principal agent relationship where i was basically standing with with my back on the wall back against the wall no energy anymore and and yeah that, that is expected from you also because of uh, your own financial interests 
you have raised the company, you have developed the company in, 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 in I would say, successful scale-up company with the team. Yeah, that, that all comes down to this very big exit. Like, what are you yeah. going to do? And then all these contracts, of course, that you, you sign along the way, most of them are, are universal. Then uh, something I can really stress here, really point out to any founder is you have to sort out paperwork and already think of your exit whilst you're building the business. Think of it. Like, what would it be like? If if you end up in a situation that is not favorable for you as a founder, because other interests can be of importance, you know, if, especially if you're working with an investor who has other HR-related companies in portfolio, those things can happen. And not about, you know, pointing with the finger like, those are bad guys or, or I was a bad boy, but more or less like, hey, be objective, figure out these things, especially when you're moving towards a new funding round. And of course, I was explaining the situation about customer intimacy 2.0, being in the trenches, being the bookkeeper, sorting out growing people at the same time. Take this time for yourself to 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 slow down and and also keep a distance at at some point to really force yourself to do that and and how Gerrit how did it end up because I remember from the book that indeed the talks were getting very hostile right I think at a certain point you were even I think it was so hostile that also you were thinking about let's say ending it for yourself right so it was pretty yeah. intense I think you bought a house at that time I recall right you had a, you had to pay the mortgage and there was a newer loan Correct. party coming on I think everybody can read it in the book we will share the book also in the story notes I think it's fascinating to hear that open on a story from a founder like yourself who really experienced that kind of let's say magnitude and that kind of stress also how did it end up for you also because at a certain point the company was sold right i mean this is the yeah. big exit show but how was indeed let's say the exit for you personally how was it how, how did it end for you personally yeah it, it was it was an exit of course I'm, I'm here in a big exit show today but it was an exit mm -hmm. from, from hell so to say mm -hmm. it was a very short intense legal fight and also during the the the, the legal uh, and this whole law, lawyer process, I fortunately made the decision to to simply say like, okay, I'm I'm gonna take it, I'm gonna move on with my life. I made the decision to not push any longer and be part of this whole legal dogfight, so to say. Mm -hmm. And that meant that I had to swallow, of of course, the the consequences financially. Mm -hmm. That meant that I had to. Yeah, give away, so to say, that's how it felt at that time. Give away your child. Mm -hmm. And then I had to step over a, a few personal boundaries that my system said, yeah, what the hell are you doing? But thankfully, if I make this call to, to, to finish this deal, so to say, there's light for me at the end of the tunnel. This is for me a major learning experience. Mm -hmm. To some extent, I accepted that. And basically, if you talk about the aftermath of the exit, it took me... A year or so to 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 really put things in perspective, and the decision I made, even though the exit process hasn't been favorable at all to me as as a founder, was that I kept distance directly after the exit, and I allowed myself to to feel things because I was in those years, you know, building and growing a company. It was. A or all about growing the company and I was a bit less sensitive to what I was feeling as a founder, as a human being myself. And that process was able to capture also for my own transformation to come back stronger, as some people say in, in Formula One when they crash their car. It felt to me also as a big 
car crash. However, with the, the 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 being rich of the experience as a human and as a founder, that that's something is not that's not totally expressible in terms of money. You can't put mm-hmm. an X million tag on it. Whilst I understand, like, okay, yeah, I missed a lot of money there that had made me independent, but I'm not angry about it because I'm now living the life that I wanna live. And now doing the things that I wanted to do. And one of the things that I wanted to do after a big exit with, with Epical was writing a book and to give back. So at some point within a year, I realized I can still do that. And it seems like a very intense period, like a, a year of recovery, but also that you chose to save yourself almost instead of yeah. like giving it all again back to the situation that you wanted to run away from, if I uh, yeah. and can was, express that correctly. Definitely. It was... It was definitely, yeah, being in the cold, butt naked, running through freezing, freezing countryside experience. Uh, confrontational, <laughs> but at the, at the same time, yeah, I am picking the fruits of it as well. So I, I, yeah. I it, it feels like, you know, this is, yeah, it's a gift. It's awkward to say, but it feels like a gift. Yeah, it's happened for a reason for my own life and, and also for for had to be here with with the two of you in this big exit show also to to share the experience from this point of view like of course everybody wants to go for for this big exit but be aware of it also where you are at as a founder that you're still able to deliver impact and and, and listen to your gut also not about getting deals or raising money also for yourself your inner transactions that you're going through because you're developing yeah, yeah. through all these phases yeah and, and Gerrit, perhaps a final question from my end is because it's, it has been a huge roller coaster for you right for you especially your whole career right being prepped when you were young for the marine already right because i think that's also a different view than a lot of us had and then building sorry building your company with all the rough edges and the personal also disasters but the stress you also had from that to to let's say where you are now living in Friesland and your and and and, and teaching and helping entrepreneurs and also building your own company again and you know, I think you also consult founders on the learnings that they have. If you could digest one, two, let's say max three, the biggest learning, what you can share with founders in building a company, because I think that everybody recognize, can recognize the stress that they have in building a, a great company and the discussion that they have with investors and not alignment on that end, right? I think everybody can recognize what are, let's say, the one, two, perhaps three biggest tips yeah. that you can give, suggestions that you can give to founders. I would say tip number one is about keep adding value and make make sure that you're able to to keep adding value to to the company and to also be critical towards your own impact. Make sure you hire the right people also in your team that in terms of my background, my mistake was like, I can do it because I have a finance background. So at some point, you know, at the beginning of your journey, you have 25, 30 different jobs, including taking out the garbage every week. So be able to to frame your work as a founder in, in stages, in terms of mm-hmm. the, the, the seed phase, the start phase, then growing more mature that you make, that's tip number two, create your own personal roadmap because you're going to pitch and to customers. You're going to pitch to investors where they are asking you well, like, hey, what's going on? What are you going to do? What are the plans? So what is your product roadmap? You have to develop your own personal roadmap as a founder, like what you want to learn, what you want to achieve. 
that you save time also for yourself to to talk to other people who are working in a completely different businesses and and find the right coach because i had something like if i have coaching conversation uh, during my tenure with Apple, like okay tick that box but you haven't gone that deep because you're so immersed in your journey that my wife at that time was was screaming and, and telling me like hey i can't hear you you can't hear me wake up and that's something mm -hmm. that you need to avoid so create your personal roadmap and at the same time what that that's more a human aspect here and now also building three businesses SaaS businesses with, with great teams is is hey guys be be also precious on your team even at times when you have mm -hmm. to say goodbye to people and, and you need to, if you're working together with more co-founders, ha have a close eye on each other's battery. Because sometimes, you know, the battery is battery power is depleted. There's no power at all. But if you make a decision to, to, to say goodbye, you know, be precious about that. Make sure that people got, got, get, get the right place after the journey. And in my, my view, it was like, okay, this is not going to work. Let's go. And then that can also create that can also create hostility at some point because you're mm -hmm. too busy. There are so many priorities. But think of always think of, of of the exit. Maybe too much from an HR angle, but the exit also triggers your your destiny in the right way. Yeah. Okay. Thanks for sharing that, Ferret. Yeah, it's really really good. And I think it tells more than let's say the average calculation that we normally do with an exit. It's what your personal exit did, right? I think the three great suggestions that you gave uh, to this. To, to the listeners and to the, to the viewers. And last question for you, Anke, you want to? No, I think it's, it's fascinating to hear the story, like, especially because uh, you've been so candid with us about the personal struggles. And I think a lot of founders, especially also this year of 2024, where the business is rough. And also I think asking yourself that question, am I still the right girl or guy to lead this shop or not fit for face? And we might reconsider how to move from, from here. I think. Yeah, you probably will get some DMs from people going through similar phases and what they can learn from your experience and maybe how to do it differently. Because I think the, the topic is very relevant yeah. for many people listening to this uh, this episode. So yeah. thank you all awesome. to everyone. Like read the book. I, I guess that's where you will read many more insights. And where can people get to you? Like what's the best way for them to uh, approach you? Best way is, is via LinkedIn. So, so find my LinkedIn profile. They can get in touch with me. So put in my, my name, Gerrit Brouwer, with some Chinese signs there. And you see my, my headshot. And yeah, happy to, uh, to be in touch and uh, happy to see where I can help. And uh, yeah, one, one last thing, always do the things that you feel like making an impact to. So if you do the things as a founder, if you, if you feel like you can make an impact here, double down on it. And, and, yeah. and leave the rest leave the rest to your team and others because can they in the end even if you think like you can do things better than anybody else that's not the case focus on your yeah. core wise yeah wise words David. wise words thanks again for for being on the show and sharing your open and honest story right really great thanks a lot Ed, you too bye-bye bye-bye you too bye thank you so much for listening to this episode of the big exit show we hope you enjoyed today if so, please subscribe to our show on Spotify or your favorite podcast platform. If you have feedback or suggestions for guests that you want to see on the show, please send us a message to podcast at peak.capital. Thanks again for listening and hope you join us for the next episode.